Welcome to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. I'm D.T. Kane, author of the epic fantasy series The Agersfar Saga and The Spoken Books Uprising. Each week, I read from one of my novels, discuss my writing process, answer your questions, and have general discussions about fantasy fiction. It's like a book club, except I do all the work for you. Find show notes, info about all my novels, and much more at dtkane.com. Here's the show. Hello, I'm DT Kane, and welcome to my epic fantasy book club. Today is January 17th, 2022, uh, as I'm recording this. Uh, we'll usually start the podcast by jumping right into wherever we left off uh, reading last week, but since this is the first episode, I thought uh, just a bit of an introduction made sense. Uh, I'm an epic fantasy author with two series currently in progress, uh, The Spoken Books Uprising and The Agersfar Saga. Now, don't get me wrong, uh, I like selling books, uh, but I also want to get my stories into as many ears as possible. So I figured why not start a podcast and share my stories with anyone uh, interested in listening. Uh, Each week, my plan is to read one or more chapters uh, from novels that I've written and then discuss them with all of you. Think of it sort of like a book club, uh, thus the title, right? Uh, Except you don't have to do any of the reading or even participate in the discussion if you don't want to. I'll do all the work for you. Uh, You just have to tune in each week and listen. So if you're an introvert like me and have always liked the idea of a book club, but getting together with a group of people you hardly know and talking isn't necessarily your idea of a good time, maybe this will be more your speed. I plan to give you weekly updates about my current works in progress and life in general so we can get to know each other uh, a bit better, and I hope you'll send me uh, stories and comments about uh, all of you out there as well. Um, But since I'm planning to give updates each week, I'm only going to give you a real brief personal introduction right now. But uh, I'm a lifelong fantasy reader, um, and I only recently came to grips with the fact that I would rather pursue my dream of being a writer than uh, working a corporate day job for the next... uh, many decades of my life here. Uh, So far, I've released two full-length novels as of this recording, and I have several more on the way this year. love reading and listening to and dissecting fantasy stories, and I hope to get into some interesting discussions uh, with all of you in the weeks, months, and uh, hopefully even years to come here uh, in the book club. Uh, Each week, I'll give some suggested questions for everyone to consider for next week's episode, and uh, I also strongly encourage listener questions. Uh, I'll also be giving listeners a mini-quest each week to complete at the end of each episode, so make sure to stay tuned uh, through the end of uh, the episode for that. All right, Uh, I think that's enough introduction for now. Uh, Today and for the next 20 or so weeks, we'll be reading the first novel in my uh, Spoken Books Uprising series, which is called The Actus Trials. Uh, I'm going to read the back cover blurb to you now, and once we read that, we will get right into the start of the novel. So here it goes, the blurb for The Actus Trials. Reading Books can get you killed. In the land of oration, magic is cast by reading aloud words of power from spoken books. Only a select few, the speakers, are born with the ability to do so. But after a disaster nearly destroyed oration, society grew to fear the speaker's power, and they were hunted and enslaved, never taught to read, 
Now they live in oppression, unable to use their magic unless a spell is first read aloud to them. Each year, young men and women from Oration's ruling libraries compete in the Actus Trials, a journey that takes them through the wilds of Oration to the ruined city of Tome. Once Oration's capital, it is now abandoned, though the great library at its center still holds a wealth of spoken books. As speakers are no longer taught to read, they also cannot write, so new spoken books have not been created in hundreds of years. The discovery of a new book is a coveted prize for any young noble. Bastion is a slave to one of Oration's poorer libraries. When he is selected to accompany his master on the Actus Trials, he thinks his life is over. The wilds are treacherous, his master incompetent, and their fellow competitors set on winning, whatever the means. But Baz also has a secret, one that could get him killed, but one that also makes him the most valuable of assets during the trials. Baz can read, and after he saves his master from certain death, he strikes a deal. His secret kept safe in exchange for aiding his master in completing the trials. But can Baz really help a young man who thinks of him as property? And even if he can, there is much he doesn't know, like the evil that lies in wait beneath the ruins of Tome. All right, let's get into the actual reading now. For those of you on YouTube, I'll throw up a uh, quick picture of the map of Oration, which is the land uh, this book takes place in. Or you can also, you can also visit dtkane.com/resources and you'll find a copy of the map there. Uh, I'll see you on the other side to discuss what we've read. And as Deckard Kane once said, "Stay a while and listen." The Actus Trials, Part One of the Spoken Books Uprising. By D.T. Kane. Prologue. The roof of the great library's tower was gone, destroyed by a spell that has surely sowed centuries of turmoil across all of oration. Pront V. Lextor, librarian of Tome, prefect of salts, keeper of the inks, protector of the sheafs, scowled at the open sky. The wind had been whipping at the pages of his book, making writing exceedingly difficult but he expressed his frustration only for a moment before leaning over the volume and continuing to scribble. One volume was already complete, but he still had this second to finish, and time was running short. Far below him, in the library's bowels, he could hear the voices. They were coming. He finished the final words and tossed his quill aside. Where he was going, he wouldn't be needing it. He was, however careful to stopper the vial of ink he'd been using. It glistened with an array of colors as light refracted off the glass. Just as he was casting sand over the final page to dry the ink, a sound like distant church bells caused him to leap from his chair. He spun, colorful robe billowing in the wind that blew through the tower's ruined rafters. Preparing to defend himself, he raised both hands. Each of his fingers bore a ring the rings of each hand connected to one another by fine lengths of chain. Prunt V. Lextor calmed as soon as he identified the sound's source, smiling at the creature floating through the air towards him. It had a body like that of a giant serpent, twisting in the wind as it alighted onto the floorboards of his study. The beast was all white, tufts of fur running down the length of its spine and over its fore and hind legs. 
It had a face like a dog that had run into a wall one too many times, snout too small for the rest of its body. A mustache hung below its nostrils and moved about as it exhaled, and two enormous eyes considered him with intelligence rivaling that of the smartest men Pront v. Lextor had ever known. But Pront v. Lextor had always deemed the creature's hide its most spectacular feature. Shaved of the white fur that lined its back and legs, the beast's skin was covered in writing, words in each of the trinity's languages written in colors representing each of the five elements. The creature was one of his greatest successes. Ah, my good book dragon, Pront v. Luxdor said, lowering his hands and permitting himself the smallest of smiles. You come at a most opportune time. The dragon regarded him with an expression of utmost distress. My brothers and sisters have each taken away as many books as they can carry. Can carry. It spoke in an ethereal way, words seeming to float on the air rather than reach the ears directly, and it had a curious habit of repeating the final words of its sentences. But there are still so many, so many. We could have saved more, but the fire-breathers fled. They are lost are lost. Pront v. Lextor patted the book dragon's head, keeping his face calm, though the news of this betrayal disheartened him. Do not lament, my friend. I know you have done what you can. It is not enough. Not enough. The book dragon rotated in a tight circle just above the floor, anxiety plain in the movement. My oath is broken. The shelves have fallen have fallen. Yes, Pront v. Lextor said, voice growing soft. He heard his age in the tremulous tone. The shelves have fallen indeed. He stared off into the distance for a few moments before shaking his head and forcing confidence back into his words. I've one final task for you. This volume must find its way safely to fortune. Pront v. Lextor shut the book he'd just finished. The dragon had a leather collar about its neck, with a pouch large enough to hold a small library's worth of books. It was already full to nearly bursting, but Pront v. Lextor approached the dragon and managed to squeeze the volume in. You are the only one I trust with it. Now go. There is little time. The only one? The book dragon trailed off, massive eyes glistening. What of Leomina and Helfax? They fell. Together. Pront v. Lextor's voice became strained, holding off the threat while the Scriveners escaped. The book dragon's ears drooped. What about you? Won't you let me take you from here? From here? Pront v. Lextor had to blink several times before answering with the confidence the book dragon needed to hear. I have trapped our foes for now, my friend, but their bonds are yet weak. I must return to Undertome and finish the job. The book dragon let out a low moan. Don't mourn for me, Pront v. Lextor said, forcing his words to sound stronger than he felt. I may be weakened for a time, but I shall return. You must protect the great library as best you can in my absence and ensure that the great work continues. The book dragon looked as if it wished to protest, 
it eventually bobbed its massive head, eyes glistening. I will do as you say, you say. It floated upward without further comment, though its eyes stayed locked on Prant v. Lextor until he lost view of the creature. With a deep sigh, he took up his staff from a corner and began his descent into the bowels of the tower. The voices grew louder the closer he got to the ground, until they were a terrible roar of sinister intent in his mind. Their appearance had been an unexpected setback. He'd been so close to achieving a great victory for all mankind. Now he would have to cleanse the city in fire and imprison his enemies in shadow. He just hoped the volume he'd given the book dragon fell into the right hands, that the land of oration would be led out of the darkness he had caused. The voices grew louder still. All right, a lot to unpack here in the prologue. Obviously, at this early stage, we're going to have a lot more questions than answers. I'll try to keep the spoilers to a minimum, and when I do give a spoiler, I'll at least try to imply it, rather than simply give something away. But I don't think it's really possible for me to have an interesting discussion with all of you out there while keeping all my cards entirely face down. I'm sure I'll be playing around with the format of our discussions uh, as we progress through the chapters and weeks and months here together. So feel free to send me suggestions on what you like, uh, what you don't like, and what you think uh, I should try out for our discussions of, uh, of the reading each week. Uh, you can shoot me an email, uh, dtkane at dtkane.com. Or if you're watching on YouTube, you can just uh, drop a comment right on the video. All right, why don't we start uh, right off with the first sentence of the prologue, right? Why don't I just uh, read that for you again? Uh, Here it is. The roof of the great library's tower was gone, destroyed by a spell that had surely sowed centuries of turmoil across all of oration. All right, lots of info packed in here. Uh, let's see. We're in the tower of a great library. That's capitalized, right? It's got to be important. And some terrible spell has blown its roof clear off. And apparently, our narrator feels that spell is going to have a long-lasting ramification for oration. Uh, which the first sentence tells us, uh, is our setting, right? So, the land of oration. Uh, what do you guys think? How'd I do with that first sentence? Is that gripping enough? Uh, did you want to hear more? Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, again, drop them in the comments or shoot me an email, dtkane at dtkane.com. So from the first sentence, uh, we quickly move on to meet, uh, the prologue's perspective character, and he's got quite the name or series of names, I guess, right? Prant v. Lextor, librarian of Tome, prefect of salts, keeper of the inks, protector of the sheafs. I mean, even I, I'm the guy who wrote it, and I've got to read that off. I don't have it memorized. (laughs) Uh, Now, at least one of my readers has asked me uh, where I get the ideas for the names in my novels. Well, uh, how about I answer that with a little bit of a story, right? I I am a novelist, after all. Uh, Now, as of this recording, uh, we're just about a month removed from the Christmas season here in the U.S., uh, and when I was home with my parents, we watched The Man Who Invented Christmas. Uh, which is about how Charles Dickens wrote uh, A Christmas Carol. Uh, Great movie. Definitely recommend. Uh, But that's not what we're here to talk about. Uh, There's a scene in that movie where Dickens is pacing his office like a madman, trying to come up with the name of his main character, spewing off all sorts of ridiculous names. 
well, for the most part, I'm not like that. Uh, sometimes I'll search real life for inspiration, sort of deforming friends or acquaintances' names to fit into my tales. Uh, I guess Dickens also kept a running list of interesting names he came across and used them in his fiction. I do that with lots of other things, particularly descriptions. If I'm reading something and I love how an author describes something, I'll uh, jot that down, or well, more often I'll, I'll make a note of it on my phone. Uh, I don't do that with names uh, so much. Uh, a trick for names I do like is to come up with a word that somehow relates to the character and then run it through Google Translate. I'll just uh, flip through a bunch of different languages until I find the right word that sounds cool, and then I'll shape it into a name. Um, maybe an example would be a little more helpful there. For instance, if I have a character who's really ugly, right, I might run the word frightening through Google Translate and see what I come come up with. In fact, why don't we do that? This is, uh, this is off the cuff here, people, so uh, we'll see what happens. Oh, let's see. Um... Can try Italian first. So frightening in Italian. Spaventosa. English is the only language I speak, people, so you're gonna have to forgive me here. Spaventosa. So maybe, you know, I'll call the call the character Spavin, maybe, or or Tosa. You know. Um let's see. Where's another language here? Ooh, Icelandic. I like Icelandic. I use that a fair bit. So uh, if uh, got any li- listeners from Iceland out there and you hear some uh, bastardized, ver- bastardized versions of Icelandic words, uh, you, you know what I'm doing. Uh, speaking of uh, bastardizing, let's see. Frightening in... Oh, this is actually spelled wrong. Frighten, yeah. Frightening in Icelandic is Ogvekjandi, something like that. Uh, so Jandi, maybe we could call the character that. So I think that's enough of that, but I think you get the idea. So a little, uh, behind the scenes <laughs> look there. Um, you know, besides running words through uh, the translator, you know, uh, you know, especially for characters who aren't main characters, I often just use the first name I can think of, uh, you know, as long as it makes reasonable sense in the context. And when I'm writing my first drafts, I try to avoid anything that'll break me out of the flow of writing. Uh, so I try not to get hung up too much on names. You know, I'll ponder briefly and toss the first thing that sticks into the manuscript. Um, so long as, like I said, it sounds remotely appropriate. Um, sometimes I'll leave myself a note and say, you know, change this during later revision. But uh, I've found over the years that I almost never actually do that. By that time, the name is kind of stuck in my mind. And it's just like, well, that's what the character is called. You know, sort of like how if you meet someone and their name seems a bit odd to you at first... Um, but you get used to it over time, right? It's their name. You just come to accept it. And especially with a lot of my secondary characters, that's, that, that's kind of what happens. Now, I, I agonize over some things in my writing, but names tend not to be one of them. <clears throat> um, I guess, particular to this name, Pront v. Lextor, right? Well, I don't really have any story behind that. Just something cool sounding about it, I think. Uh, maybe it's the sound of the three-word name that goes one syllable, one syllable, two syllable. I don't know. Something about it sounds imposing. Uh, example, example. Hmm. The late actor Max von Sydow, maybe? Seventh Seal and Exorcist fame. 
There's a good real-life example, I guess. Prant v. Lextor, Max von Sydow. I, I just like how it sounds. Uh, then as for the rest of the titles after Prant's name, those uh, pretty common fantasy trope for important leaders, right? Daenerys Stormborn of House Targaryen, the first of her name, Queen of the Andals and the First Men, Protector of the Seven Kingdoms, the Mother of Dragons, the Khaleesi of the Great Grass Sea, the Unburnt, the Breaker of Chains. Geez, that's even longer than mine, right? Uh, another example? This one's from Wheel of Time, right? Uh, Elaine Trickhand, Queen of Andor and Kyrian, Defender of the Realm, Protector of the People, High Seat of House Trickhand, and Aes Sedai of the Green Aja. Uh, Pranfi Lextor. Yeah, he's, he's fitting right in there, I guess. <laughs> Uh, and you'll notice all of his titles relate to the importance of writing and books in this world. Um, yeah, that's something you'll see me do a few times throughout. Uh, we're going to come to learn, if you haven't figured that, alre- figured that out already from the back cover blurb uh, in these first few pages here, books are really important here. Uh, so lots of his title reference books. Uh, Prefect of Salts, well, that's a little ambiguous. That doesn't seem to really reference books, but that's not going to be too relevant for quite a while in the story so we'll just leave that there uh for now also i think generally speaking uh someone doesn't get that many titles unless they're pretty important right so i don't think it's much of a spoiler for me to say that you should recognize prant v lextor as someone who's going to have some importance in the story to come so keep uh keep him in mind moving forward all right i think that's enough on names um maybe that was a little too much on names let me know if that was interesting or uh if i could have maybe cut that back a bit uh so um we see prance feverishly writing some sort of book right but we don't really learn what that is and as he's writing he's worrying over these voices he can apparently hear coming from beneath the tower he's in a uh, little unclear if the voices are in his head or if if there was someone else in the room they could hear them as well you know, uh, kind of leaving it up in there at this point. Is he a little bit crazy, the voices in his head? Or is there some dark magic at work here that he's fighting against? Well, I said I'd give you some spoilers, but that would probably be too big of a one. So you're going to just have to keep listening to find out what's going on with the voices. Um, so we get into the meat of the prologue when uh, our friend the dragon arrives. Uh, I won't rehash his entire description, but he's essentially a white Chinese dragon, right? Slender, long body no wings. Now, his one distinguishing characteristic is that there's writing all over his body, yeah? You know, at this point, we don't really know what the significance of this is, uh, but you know from the back cover blurb, again, books, they hold magic power in this world. So, here we have a dragon who's essentially a flying book, right? Well, there's got to be some significance there, so uh, keep this dragon in mind, too. He's going to keep popping up again here in the weeks to come. Uh, so after we get the description of, uh, of our uh, friend the book dragon here, uh, we don't learn his name in the prologue here. He does have one. We will learn it later. Uh, obviously, Prant v. Lextor knows the dragon, greets him as an old friend. As the two of them talk, we learn that there are more dragons like this one, and they've been working to rescue books from the Great Library. Obviously, some great calamity has struck, but we're still not really clear what it was. All the color we really get on whatever this disaster was at this point is when the dragon says, the shelves have fallen. Now, in a world where books are important, shelves falling sounds kind of ominous to me, right? But again, not clear at this point what happened. Uh, 
this will be important throughout the story, though. So just keep the shelves falling in mind for now. And I guess a quick aside here, you know, I obviously I read a lot of fantasy, right? And sometimes I'll read a fantasy book's prologue and I'll be like, and then I'll read the rest of the book and be like, I, was that prologue even necessary? I, in fact, I was <laughs> I was talking to someone about Wheel of Time uh, a few days ago. And, uh, you know, they told me they had trouble starting it because they started with the prologue, which uh, if if you're not familiar, the prologue starts thousands of years before the actual story starts. And it's a lot of kind of exposition in, in one character's head. And then this character doesn't appear again for hundreds and hundreds of pages. Um, you know, and I, I basically told him, yeah, you, you'd probably be better off just starting with chapter one and skipping the prologue. Because <laughs> finally, when he got to chapter one, he, you know, he was he was all good. Um, that the point of that is I'm not going to do that here. Everything here in this prologue is pretty important. It might, it might take you, you know, five or six chapters, um, of the, uh, of, of the main story to actually kind of start seeing how this prologue becomes important. But, uh, you know, that's one of the benefits to participating in, uh, the Epic Fantasy Book Club here is I'll be, uh, I'll be making all these connections, uh, for you each week. So, just uh, if you're someone who uh, is in the camp of, uh, you know, there should never be a prologue in a book, just bear with me a little. I, uh, I promise this is all uh, all relevant here. Um, right, so moving uh, moving on here through the prologue, we see Prompt Vilexdor give the book he just finished writing uh, to the book dragon. And he makes clear it needs to get to safety to a place called Fortune. Uh, the dragon seems surprised, right, that he's that Prance picked him to entrust the volume to and not uh, Helfax or Liamina, who are apparently uh, two other individuals the dragon holds in high regard. Um, and, you know, you can tell he holds them in high regard when Prant veal reveals that they both fell holding off a threat, presumably th the threat that has created this calamity at the Great Library, right? But, you know, he doesn't come right out and say that. But, uh, I'll at least tell you that's a pretty safe bet that that's uh, that's how they fell. Um, so he gives the gives the book dragon the book. Prunt declines the book dragon's offer to take him away from the tower. Right, you know something bad is ha happening down there, and the book dragon offers to rescue him. Uh, but Prunt says no, I got to stay here. Uh, he has to finish trapping his foes in Undertome. You know what? What is that undertone? Well, I guess the you know he said the voices were coming down from below, so uh, I, I guess the voices are coming from this place uh, called Undertone. Um, while Prunt doesn't admit it to the dragon, he's obviously worried about this, right? Um, he has to force himself to sound stronger than he feels because he doesn't want to worry the uh, the dragon, right? Um, still, uh, our, our our poor book dragon here with his very uh, mellow, ethereal voice is obviously heartbroken over leaving Prompt Vlexdor behind. But he also obeys, and he floats away. And that brings us pretty much to the end of the prologue. Uh, we end with Prompt Vlexdor descending the tower to be about his task of trapping his enemies, uh, lamenting how they'd interfered with some great work that he's been performing and praying that the book he just wrote falls into the right hands so that it can lead the land oration out of darkness. Uh, so finally, we have here at the very end a hint, at least, about uh, this book that he gave to the dragon that's flown away. Holds some sort of secret that will help rescue the land from the threat that uh, Prompt V. Lextor is going to battle against down in Undertome at the Great Library. And that 
is it for the prologue. Uh, obviously, a ton more questions, very few answers at this point. Kind of the point of the prologue. We're setting lots of stuff up here that we're going to be reading about uh, in weeks to come. Uh, like I said, the prologue is going to be a touchstone throughout the book that we'll keep coming back to. So, you know, please don't take it for granted. Like I said, this isn't just uh, some useless uh, world world building here. <laughs> we'll, we'll be coming back again to the prologue, looking at some of the stuff that is foreshadowed uh, as we as we keep pushing on through the book. Uh, all right, coming to our end uh, of our time here together this uh, this week. Um, but I am going to give you some homework for next time. But remember, even though I'm giving you homework, this is a passive book club. So unlike school, if you don't do your homework, no problem, because I'll be doing it for you in the next episode. Uh, next time, we'll read chapters one and two, which comprise part one of the novel. Uh, we'll meet two brothers who are slaves, and you should, you should pay close attention to what the older one is teaching the younger one. Uh, it's going to introduce you to this world's magic system. Uh, so see if you can pick up on uh, some of the magic system's rules. We'll discuss that next week. Uh, we'll also meet the brother's master and his giant bodyguard, uh, who are also key characters throughout the novel. Uh, keep an eye on their interactions uh, with one another. Um, you know, how do they feel about one another? There's kind of an interesting uh, dynamic there amongst all of them. Uh, and that's it. So keep those things in mind. Uh, like I said, if you, you get a chance to read chapters one and two before ne next week, great. If not, never fear, because I'll be reading them to you, just like I did with the prologue today. Uh, so I'll be looking forward to another great discussion with you all uh, next week. Uh, finally, just a few other quick things here. Um, like I said, I encourage listener questions. And uh, we got one here today from uh, Diane in New York. Uh, Diane writes, DT, what's up with the hat? Uh, I assume she's referring to this hat, right? Uh, you saw me wearing it while I was reading uh, the book. And uh, Diane, thanks for the question. Uh, I'm not going to answer it right now. <laughs> um, I, th I think you'll come to see there's, uh, there's kind of a strange uh, importance to hats in this world. You know, we didn't see it here in the prologue. But you'll uh, you'll see it pretty quickly once we once we start moving through the chapters and by about um, I think it's chapter you know 10, 10 or eleven you'll 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 get the you'll get the full uh, sense of uh, of why the hat's important. But uh, it is more than just a prop. It does have some uh, connection uh, to the book we're reading, really the whole series. So uh, keep keep that in mind. But uh, what do you think of the hat? Uh, you know, leave a comment on YouTube or email me. DTKane at DTKane.com. Um, the quest, the quest for the week. Uh, like I noted at the beginning, each week I'll have a mini quest for listeners to complete. Uh, this week's is going to be a question. Uh, what do you think was my inspiration for the dragon we met in the prologue? Email your answers to DTKane at DTKane.com. And uh, as well as any other questions you'd like me to answer on a future episode. Uh, everyone who sends me a cor correct answer to this this week's quest will earn two two experience points. I'll be keeping a tally and uh, be awarding prizes from time to time to our top experience earners. Uh, so be sure to send in those answers this week. All right, and every week I think I'm going to try to finish with a quote. Usually something quite you know something fantasy related, right? This is a fantasy podcast after all. 
Um, this week's quote comes from Stephen Brust, um, most well known for his Vlad Taltos series. Uh, very good. Would recommend. Always speak politely to a live dragon. Uh, good life advice. Uh, I recommend you all follow that. All right. So until next time, this has been D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Thanks for listening to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. If you liked today's episode, please consider rating and reviewing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube, give this video a thumbs up if you liked it and hit that subscribe button and the bell so you get notified whenever new episodes become available. If you'd like to listen to back episodes or review the show notes, visit dtkane.com slash podcast. D.T. Kane's novels are available for purchase at most major online retailers, or you can purchase directly from his website at www.dtkane.com books. You can receive a free short story and sign up for D.T. Kane's mailing list at dtkane.com email dash sign up. If you'd like to connect, you can find D.T. Kane on Facebook at D.T. Kane Author or Twitter at D.T. Kane Author, or send D.T. Kane an email at dtkane at dtkane.com. See you next week.